So last week, if you were here, we introduced you to a new staff member, Sawyer Trapp, who's going to be starting as our student ministry director, but I have the privilege of introducing another staff member that's going to be coming on part-time with our church, Grant Ryder. So in our search process for a student ministry director, we were, kind of, you know, we were thinking later on we were going to look for a community director to oversee our community groups and some of the adult ministries in our church. And Grant was one of the people that applied for student ministry director, and we really liked him. He's a Moody Bible Institute graduate. Um, he's been at, for the last three years, at College of the Ozarks, and he started a small groups ministry from scratch, and it grew to over 12 small groups. And we're like, we want somebody like that to oversee our community groups. So I'm really excited to introduce you Grant Ryder, his wife Leah, and their daughter Ray. So would you welcome them with a... Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Um... Can we get Val's mic? Thank you, Ben. Yeah, good morning. Um, I'm Grant. And this is my wife, Leah, and this is our sleepy little girl named Ray. And uh, yeah, we're excited to be here, grateful to be part of this community. I said it in the first service, but I'll say it here too, that I'm, I'm passionate about this opportunity um, because I believe that one of the most important factors in growing deeper in our relationship with Christ is community. You and I were created for relationship. That's why we have community groups, and that's why I hope to get each of us connected in that way. Um, so if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you more. I'm still learning everything myself, but um, we'd love to get you connected if you're interested. Uh, but other than that, we're uh, super grateful to be here and look forward to getting to know you all much more. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Grant. And he'll be around after the service, so make sure you talk with Grant. And if you're not in a community group, get in one. Get in one. They're going to be good. We're kicking those off here at the end of August and into September, so you can keep your eyes out for that. Okay, so we are jumping back into our Love Your Neighborhood series, and this is going to be the last message in our series. I hope you're ready for it, because ready or not, here it comes. This series, I think, has been fun, and it's good. It's helped us, you know, open up our eyes, hopefully, to what's around us and what God is calling us to. And, you know, um, I'm a planner. I I plan, especially when it comes to my preaching, I plan way in advance, probably too much. (laughs) Like, I know what I'm going to preach every Sunday up until Easter next year. Um, I, I can tell you about it, you know, this, I, I, I just do, I have it all planned, I know this, and I change some things around, and, but very rarely, and, and this week I had my whole message ready, I was excited, I've been planning it for months, got all the studying done, everything was prepared, and then God basically told me, oh, you need to preach a different message. So that's what I'm doing, I don't do this very often, but I'm doing that this week because I really feel like God has put this on my heart for our church at this time. So that's what we're going to do, we're going to jump into the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get there. Um, We're going to look at this passage. And um, what we're going to talk about is is shining light on this passage that you guys probably heard before, but hopefully we'll hear it in a new light. And I hope it will be really powerful because in this church we've talked about some of the issues facing our nation. You know, in our content series right after Easter, we talked especially about anxiety and depression and how that's something that we're struggling with at a nation because... If you look at some of the statistics, that our nation is the most anxious nation on the entire planet. That when you look at some of the statistics, that um, severe depression is up by 60% since 2010. That 40% of college students have faced depression or anxiety that's so debilitating for them that they can't even move or do anything. That... In our teenagers since 2010, depression and anxiety has increased by 30%. That the average child today faces the same level of anxiety that a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. 
But there's problems here in our state, in our, our city as well. Looking at it, and the crime rates in our city are up again it's at the highest they have been in decades. That the homicide rate, the auto theft rate, and the, the assault and rape rate is up higher than it has been in a long time. That um, the number of suicides and in Colorado are at an all-time high. And that's the number and the rate. And what's really crazy in this series, we, we think that things are getting better, things are, are looking up in our economy, but since 2000, the rate of poverty has increased by over double. In 2000, there were 44 neighbors, neighborhoods in the Denver metro area that had high poverty rates. Now that's 111 neighborhoods. So poverty is getting worse. And it's crazy because we look at our world and it seems like the economy is booming. You know, unemployment is at one of historic lows. People have jobs. Property values are up. It seems like everything's going well. That we're wealthy. We have it made, but it's not true. Because it might work in politics, but it comes to real life, it's not the economy, stupid. It's not. That doesn't give us hope. It doesn't. We need something more. And that's what we as a church are called to bring. To bring hope, to bring life, to bring light in a very dark world. So today we're going to finish this series. It's just a short series. You can catch up online if you missed any of our audio or video. We have all that on our staplesandchurch.com website. But we learned in the first week, as we're just catching up, we, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. And we're really still asking the wrong question. We're always asking, who is my neighbor? That's what the religious lawyer asked, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to help and who can I avoid helping? Like, what can I get away with and still be a good person? And Jesus says, no, no, no. We're supposed to be asking, am I a neighbor? Do I have pity? Do I have compassion in my heart like the Samaritan to help those in need around me? We need to look internally so that we can look externally. And then in the second week, last week, we learned that we need to bloom where God plants you, even if it's in Babylon. Because God has planted us in a specific time, in a specific location, in a relationship, in a job, in a network, in our neighborhood where we live, and God wants us to bloom there. To be there to love and to serve and to bring life to that area, that location, that relationship, that network that we are in. So today, it's going to be a really complex, big idea. Light it up. Can you remember that? Three words. Light it up. This is what we're being called to in this message and in this series. And if you can't remember that, I want you to turn to the person next to you. Everyone, I want you to do this and say, light it up. Okay, you're going to remember that now? Good. Light it up. That's what we're going to learn today because that's what Jesus, his followers, and in turn us to do. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to read this whole passage and then we're going to dig back in deeper into each phrase. It starts out, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Anybody here heard that before or read it before? Yeah, pretty popular passage. In fact, this comes, it may be one of the most popular sections of Jesus' most famous sermon, and I would argue probably the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave this sermon that's in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, and it's such a popular sermon, people continually go back to it. It's so important. He actually gave it to his disciples. 
So his disciples had come up with him on the mountain. He kind of left the crowds, although some of the crowds probably followed up there and listened to the sermon. But this was directed at his disciples, people that had already decided to follow him, and he's teaching them what they are supposed to do. So in turn, if we have decided to follow Jesus, this is for us. This is for us. This is our message. Jesus is saying to us, to you, you are the light of the world. So this message today is for those of us who are Christians. If you're here and you're just kind of hanging out or someone drives here and you're not a Christian, you kind of get to sit back today and sit back and listen and, and learn what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. But we're called to, okay? But this is for us who are believers because we are called to be the light of the world. We are called to light it up, right? To light it up. So I want to jump back through this passage and we're going to look at each phrase and see the significance of it and what it means for us. So let's start at the beginning. You are the light of the world. Now that is significant to me as I read it because Jesus said in John, the Gospel of John, he had said, I am the light of the world. The beginning of John had said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and he was the light, right? Jesus was the light of the world. And yet here Jesus, that same light, is telling us, you are the light. And this you is plural. So he's saying all people who follow me, individually and as a, as a collective, as a group, you guys are the light of the world. And that's so significant is because Jesus is the light and then we actually become his light in the world around us. Now this made me think of uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, one of my favorite series actually, in The Lord of the Rings. So if we can go ahead and cue this, this video. And this is what I thought of when, when I thought of this idea. So there's this first light that's lit, right? It's the first light that comes. So just for our analogy's sake, that's Jesus, right? The light, first one to be seen. Catches everyone's attention. And that first light, thanks Gandalf, becomes a beacon of hope, right? But then what happens? The next light gets lit, right? And then it's a beacon to the next light. And the light continues to carry on from place to place, location to location, as that hope gets expressed and furthered, and that beacon of hope just gets carried into all the, the corners of the world. Pretty epic, right? epic that's aragorn he sees it now it's time to go right because the hope has come and that's what i see us as jesus was the light of the world but when we follow him we're conveying that light to the next person to those around us that light has now come into us that we are the light you are the light of the world and that's why we're called to light it up now some of you think well matt i don't know if i, I can do that you know it's like 
it seems pretty crazy. How can I be the light of the world? I don't really know that much about my faith. I'm pretty new to it, or I'm nervous around other people even sharing my faith. How can I be the light? But here's the thing that we forget about, that we have a pretty simple job, and I think D.T. Niles summarized it pretty well. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what we're doing. We point people to the true light of the world, the true life, the true one who gives hope to those who are in darkness. And our job is just like a beggar. Hey, I know where I got hope. And we point people to that. That's our role, that we are called to light it up. So let's jump into our passage again. It said, you are the light of the world. And then Jesus continued on by saying, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So at this moment, Jesus was on a hill, right? He was on the mountain. And he was talking just to his disciples. He had left the crowd, and yet they all followed him up there. Because when you're on the mountainside, when you're up high, people can see you. And this was especially significant for God's people at the time because they were probably just outside of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a town built on a hill. It's literally built on Mount Zion. And they built the city there so people could see it. But David chose that as his capital, not only because it could be seen, but because it could be defended. That's why you built cities in the ancient world on top of hills. You couldn't hide. It wasn't like building a house in a cave or building somewhere that nobody would know about. People would know about it, but you could defend it because you had the high ground. So that's what people did. And Jesus said, hey, you build that city on a hill so that people can see it and know that you can defend it. And that's why even it's said about Jesus that the light shine into the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Has not overcome it because our light goes in there and it cannot be hidden. But then Jesus goes on with another metaphor. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Some, some versions say bushel, but it's some kind of basket or, or bowl or something. And, and Jesus said, hey, you wouldn't take a light and put it under a bowl. Now, in case you didn't know, Thomas Edison hadn't invented the light bulb in this day. Right? There were no LED bulbs. There were no battery-powered lights. So if you had a light, what was it? It was a candle or a lantern. It was a flame. It was a fire. And what does a fire need to survive? Oxygen. So anybody who heard this would have think, that's ridiculous. Nobody would put a light under a bowl. Not only might you burn it on the way in there, but then it would run out of oxygen and die out. And it's stupid. Why would you have a light under a bowl? Nobody can use it. So this has just been obvious for them. So why are you hiding that light under a bowl? But then Jesus says this. Instead... They put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. This is the interesting thing about lights. We use them for ourselves, but when we light a light, or when we turn a light on, it not only helps anybody else who see it, right? That's the thing. We moved into our new house, and the lights back in the alley behind our house weren't working. I replaced the bulbs. It still wasn't working, so I went to Home Depot, and I got out my electrical stuff, and... I made sure I didn't shock myself up on the ladder, but I fixed the sensor for the lights and got it working. And I have those lights now in our alley. It not only is good for us and maybe keeps our garage a little bit safer from burglars, but it helps everybody else in the alley, doesn't it? It makes our whole neighborhood a little safer. And that's the thing about a light. It helps anyone who is in the, you know, in the view of its rays. Lights help everyone. Last week we talked about flowers in the same way. A flower blooms. And it's not just good for you who planted the flower, but anyone who comes by and sees that flower can benefit from its beauty. So this is what we're called to do for everyone, anyone that's around us. When we are a light in the darkness, we help everyone around us. 
We help everyone around us. And that's why Jesus goes on by saying, in the same way, in the same way, just like a light needs to shine, let your light shine before others. How? That they may see your good deeds. So how do we shine our light? By our good deeds. By the things we do, the actions we take, the way we live our life is how we shine our lights. This is what Jesus is telling us. By your good deeds. You're supposed to let people see your good deeds. You're supposed to do good deeds for other people. Help other people out. Serve other people. That's why you're always supposed to be asking, am I the neighbor? Am I a neighbor? So that we can serve those people around us who are in need. We can be a light to them by our actions. By our actions. This is so important for us to understand. Because we, by the way we live and interact with other people by our actions, show Jesus, the true light of the world. We do. We show Jesus because they can't see Jesus. Unless you've had some great epiphany, some experience, and most of us haven't seen Jesus physically. And maybe if you did, you might have been in an LSD, right? Okay? We don't see Jesus with our physical eyes, do we? It's by faith. What we do see is other people around us. And they may see Jesus by the way you live your life. It's so important how we live, how we interact with people, how we love and serve others so that they can see Jesus in us and through us. And this is so important. I heard a story about a missionary that was going to India. And this woman was a doctor, very well educated, and she was excited to go to India. And because there were such big medical needs in the hospital, when she first got to India, they didn't put her in language school. They just threw her right into the hospital to start helping from day one. So she didn't know a single word in the language of the people that she was working with. But she said, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to make sure that I help them as much as I can as a doctor. And I'm going to share words of kindness with them. I'm even going to tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ all through an interpreter. So that's what she was doing, always with a smiling, loving, caring face. She was so excited to be serving from day one as a missionary in India. But after a while, she realized that nobody was responding well to what she was doing. They didn't like her. Nobody was excited about the help that she was giving her. No no one treated her well, and she couldn't figure it out. She was asking her church back home to pray for her. She couldn't figure it out. And then finally, after a few weeks, she realized the problem was her interpreter. Her interpreter wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was rude and arrogant and a jerk and would not convey the message of hope of Jesus Christ to these patients. He was mean to everyone. She realized it's because of the interpreter that her words, her hope that she was bringing wasn't affecting these people. Well, we are the interpreters of God. We help people see and learn about Jesus Christ by the way we live our lives, by our attitude, by our words, by our actions. You know, I think that's the reason why Paul had said in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. You're God's spokesperson. You're his interpreter. You're his ambassador representing him. You are the one who's called to light it up. Show the light of Jesus Christ by the way you live and interact with people around you. And this is so important. I want to jump back to our passage one more time because I want to show you the purpose of all of this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And then what does Jesus say? And glorify your Father in heaven. This is the whole reason why you shine the light. This is the whole reason why you serve people and love people and and do good for other people. It's so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. And what this is meaning is that they are worshiping God. They have become worshipers. They have become followers of Jesus in turn. That's the purpose. That's the purpose to glorify God. And 
what I would say is this starts with our actions, starts with our attitude, but it carries through with words too. How would they know to glorify our Father in heaven unless we tell them about him? Or invite them to church? Or, or when they're having that difficult moment in their life, we have a conversation and share with them why we have hope and how we made it through our difficult time. We must share with them because that is the purpose. You know, our church is great at sending out short-term missionaries and even uh, some long-term missionaries we've sent out. Awesome. I love it. Jimmy Smith has done an incredible job in this church. We, like, people come up to us and say, how, as a church of your size, do you send so many mission teams? I, I want to know. I think it's incredible how we do it, and we're going to continue to do it. Some of you guys will be doing it next year. A couple are going in the fall as well on a mission trip. But here's the thing. We aren't just supposed to send people out across the world, to Houston and to Mexico and, and to Estonia or wherever. We're called to go in our neighborhoods. James Montgomery Boyce, the great pastor, said, We spend millions of dollars to send faithful women and men overseas to tell the good news there. But we will not go to our cities or neighbors if to do so costs us comfort or prestige. Ouch. But that's what we're called to do. We are called to go right where we are, right where we're planted, right in our neighborhoods. We've got to start there. We've got to start there. You know, thinking about this series, there was a, a verse that really kept getting stuck in my mind. And if you've read the message, it's a paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson. Really great. He's a great pastor as well. And in John 1.14, this is how he paraphrases it. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you like that? That's what Jesus did for us. Did you realize that? That Jesus was in glory with his Father and the Holy Spirit. They had perfect connection, perfect community. They had angels serving them and worshiping them. They didn't need anything. And yet Jesus still came down into earth, emptied himself, became a human being, and lived in our neighborhood. He lived among us, got to know us. He spent time with the people that nobody else would, the outcasts. He loved them. He served them. He healed them. He did whatever he could for them. And then... After all that, he went and died on the cross for them. To atone for their sins, offer forgiveness and a way to eternal life. He brought hope to the neighborhood. And if he was willing to come into our neighborhood, how can we then not go into our neighborhoods and bring him? How can we then not light it up right where we live? Glorify your Father in heaven. Now, some of you, as I'm talking right now, are getting really nervous. Right? I've never really done that mad. I'm not, I'm not really out as a Christian in my workplace or in my neighborhood. Will they think I'm weird? Yes. And this is the thing I want to tell you. You will be a little nervous. It's okay. I'm nervous too. I get worried because the reality is some people will glorify your Father in heaven. It might take years. They may become Christians. They may come to our church when you invite them. Awesome, this is amazing, we can praise God for that, right alongside with them as they're praising God. But some people won't. Some people will actually hate you. In John 3.20, we read, People who do what is wrong hate the light and don't come to the light. They don't want their actions to be exposed. Jesus promises us, there and in another place, that we as Christians, as followers of him, will be hated. It's not just disliked or made fun of. We'll be hated. And we'll be mocked. We'll, we'll be called the haters. 
We'll be, uh, you know, just mocked in front of everybody, persecuted even. Do you know the Apostle Paul promised us as well? Those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We love the other promises, don't we? Eternal life and hope and that God will work in all things for the good of those who love him. But do we know about that promise? That we will be hated as well? We'll be despised and rejected just alongside Jesus. If our Savior was despised and rejected, how can we hope for anything better? And yet, it's worth it. It's worth it even though we're made fun of and people think it's strange that, why aren't you staying out later on Saturday night? Oh, I've got to go to church tomorrow morning. What? What a waste of time. Why are you following all those stupid rules? Why do you do that? Why, why are you, as a teenager, why are you going to youth group on Wednesday night? Come on. Why do you do any of that? Why do you read your Bible? They'll make fun of you. They'll think you're foolish, stupid. You may even lose jobs or be fired because of that. You might miss out on a promotion. But that's what's going to happen because it's worth it because we are bringing light into a dark world. And the world needs it desperately. Denver needs it desperately. Your neighborhood needs it desperately. Have you ever wondered why Christianity spread so well? Think about it. When Jesus died, there was 11 guys that followed him, right? Not even 12. Just 11. And somehow today there are over 2 billion people that worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What happened? There's something really interesting in the beginning. If you ever study history, this might may come up. But Emperor Julian of the Roman Empire hated Christians, as you'll see in this quote I have from him. He explains why Christianity spread so well. And he said this, Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. The wretched Galileans, that's what he called Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. See, we have a hope, we have a light, and we can bring it to the world. We've got to light it up. Now, if you... I know some of you are nervous about this, worried about it. What are people going to think? But here's the reality. If you had a cure for Ebola, wouldn't you share it? You wouldn't keep it for yourself. If a, a Thai soccer team was caught in a cave and you knew a secret entrance into that cave to get him out and you didn't say anything, what a terrible person. We have the hope of the world. We have the light of Jesus Christ within us. We know that when we do die, whenever it is, we will have eternal life and glory and paradise forever. How could we then not share it with those around us? How could we then not light it up? In our series, I've given you some basic homework assignments. In the first week, you may remember, I just challenged you to get to know the names of your neighbors around you. I hope some of you guys have done that. Just learn the names of the people that live around you, get to know them. And then last week, I gave you the homework assignment to pray for them. So to maybe have a second conversation and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? And to write those things down and start praying for your neighbors. But I have a third assignment from this message today. Do something nice for a neighbor. Just one thing for one neighbor. Think you can do it? I want you to think about it. What's one nice thing? It can be something small. It can be something bigger. I just want you to think, what's one thing I can do to love my neighbor? To share the good news with them through my actions. Maybe I need to you know, prune their bush a little bit. Maybe ask them first, but... You know, maybe there's a way that you can help in a small way, a neighbor that's in need. We all have needs around us. What's the one thing that God is calling you to do? That's your homework assignment. You got it? It's one good thing you can do because God is calling us to light it up. And what's amazing, as you begin to see your role in this, that my job is to light it up, 
through my good deeds, through my actions, so that people will glorify my Father in heaven. When you see your role in that, you're going to begin to have these conversations with people. When someone's marriage is on the rocks and you can say, hey, I had a similar situation in my marriage and God helped me through it and here's how. When someone that you work with, their, parent, their kid is really struggling and they just don't know how to parent, they're like, I can't figure it out. And you say, hey, you know, I don't know the answers, but I know that my Father in Heaven has forgiven me and so that's how I can forgive my kids when they're acting crazy. And you can do it too. You can light up those conversations when you're at work in those relationships, when you're at home in your neighborhood, when you're working out at the gym, you can light it up. Wherever you are, God is calling us and calling you to light it up. So, I I think some of us still struggle with this, but I am challenging us as a church to get a little more bold. To get a little more bold, because when we are a little more bold, that hope that we have can get expressed, and we can be that beacon of light to the people around us, and it will help them. I heard this story from a pastor by the name of Nagin, and and Pastor Nagin... um, tells a story about when he was in a small town as a pastor, there was this one really wealthy businessman who hated the church, hated Christians, did not like them at all, because he thought all that they wanted to do was take his money. He was rich. So he hated Christians. When even the pastor would go try to talk with him, he was a very prominent man, didn't want anything to do with Christians or the church. Well, this same man became paralyzed. He was in the hospital, unable to move. Pastor Nguyen heard about it, and he went to go visit this man in the hospital. When he got there, though, he could barely make it into the room because it was filled with balloons and flowers and cards from all the people in his church. And this man had taken a piece of paper and had written on it on the wall when he came in, I was wrong. The church does care. And that man became a Christian because of the love that was shown to him by that church. And I think we can do the same thing as a church that we can light it up in all our relationships, that we can be bold and unashamed. Did you know the Apostle Paul said that? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It brings hope. brings people out of the desperation and struggles they have and helps them get through it no matter what life brings them. We have that hope and we are called to light it. A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with uh, Amanda Smith, and Amanda was talking about a message that Barry Hughes had delivered as his last message here. Do you remember Barry? Barry was our interim executive pastor right before I got here. Barry served this church for about a year, did an awesome job, and then he left and we sent him out and he planted a church up in Brighton in Lockbuoy, that neighborhood. And it's doing really well. It's called Mile High Church. Um... But when Amanda told me about this, I just kept thinking about it. So I contacted Barry and said, hey, can you tell me about that message? And he gave me his whole notes. He gave me the whole thing, the whole message that he gave. And some of you may remember this message, but it really spoke out to me. And and this is what he said. I just want to read a short section of it. He wrote, let me encourage you. Don't be ashamed to be a church. This is Stapleton Church that just happens to meet in a historic hangar. What goes on in this place is eternal. When Jesus first mentioned the church, the ecclesia, something that is eternal, a called out people on a purpose, a movement. 
He said, a hangar isn't eternal. So this place needs to shine as a church. And I hope that's what we can do. The greatest thing about us isn't that we meet in a cool hangar. It's cool. The architect was here last week. He said, oh, this place is like our baby. Yeah, it's awesome. But that's not why we're here. We're here to bring light to a neighborhood and a city that's in darkness. And we have that light inside of us. Now, maybe you noticed, maybe some of you didn't even notice, but it's this box here that I've had on stage the whole time. You notice this? It's a beautiful box, right? It's black and shiny, freshly spray-painted this week. It looks good. But do you know what's inside of this box? What, you didn't know the light was up here? It's been up here the whole time. I'm afraid that that can happen to us as Christians as at a church. We got something inside. People don't know about it. People don't know that this light is here, this hope is here, because we're hiding it. It's time for us to stop doing that and instead to light it up. Let's have the band come on up and let's pray. God, you're calling us, church, to be bold. Be unashamed. Some of us are new to this We're a little nervous, we're a little timid about sharing our faith or about doing good deeds. It kind of feels weird. We might get made fun of or even persecuted. We don't know what's going to happen, Lord God. We might even be hated. But you have called us to light it up wherever we live, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. You have called us to light it up, and I pray that we could do that. Use us, embolden us, empower us with your spirit. Let us know how great your hope is that you've given us so that we can share it with others. And I pray that we could be that town on a hill, that light on a stand, that people would see it, see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Let your love shine through us as we learn to love our neighborhood. 